uh, that was the kind of people they were. And uh, Nehemiah, when he allowed himself to be sad and drawn out in the face of the king, was putting his life on the line and he knew it. But God intervened in it. And he sent Nehemiah and he gave him everything that he needed. And Nehemiah went and the first several chapters of the book are are the battles that Nehemiah fought, not only from uh, outside forces as the other inhabitants of the land had, had grown uh, fond of Jerusalem laying waste and having no power, not interfering with their ways. Does that sound like modern history to you or what? Uh, same thing repeats itself. And Nehemiah had many battles. But the first thing I want you to know is they got the walls rebuilt. Amen? And in chapter 7, it says, Now it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors, and the, and the porters, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed. And they had a celebration. And we come down, the walls were finally rebuilt. A city without walls in those days. Um, if we tried to liken it today, it would be a city without a police force, without sanitation, without any of the normal operating procedures of a city. I mean, how many remember the, the uh, sanitation strike a few years back? And they had the garbage piled 10 and 12 feet high in New York City. And... Uh, this would, you could not live in this city very long if people weren't taking care of those things. I mean, there are lots of horror stories from New York City in the 70s and the early 80s. Things have improved since then. And, and we praise God for that. But a city without walls was like a city without a police force. There was no control. The bandits would just move in and move out from the Outside of the city, if there was going to be anything good happening, you had to have the walls. And they rebuilt the walls. It was seen by all those that surrounded them as God had intervened and was blessing Jerusalem again. We come down to verse 3. He rebuilt the walls in verse 3. And I said unto them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch and everyone to be over against his house. And so we had a restoring of order. You can't control something that you don't have boundaries on. And so they built the city. They were then able to put people, porters, at the doors and guards and, and, inhabit, and, and the people of the land served as a uh, civilian police force to make sure that the Arabians and the Samaritans and the different groups weren't going to come and try to attack them and do them harm in the night. You know what? Some people were starting to sleep at night for the first time. In their lives. But then we get to verse 5. And it says it's time to reckon the people. 
You see, in those days, what family you were born in was very, very important. I think it's kind of funny today that we have animals with pedigrees and people without. In the Bible times, it was the people that had the pedigrees. Nobody really cared about the animals. Uh, But the simple truth was, if you were going to serve in the temple, read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, there were different groups of people who could not prove by the genealogical charts and things there who they were. They couldn't serve. There were a lot of these Samaritans who were basically half-Jews, both in their physical heritage, but more importantly, in their spiritual heritage. Read the end of the book of Second Chronicles. They sacrificed to the Lord and worshipped their own gods. And they were trying to come and be a part. You know, when something good happens, everybody wants to get in on it. And Nehemiah said, listen, we need to have a reckoning of our genealogies. And we need to certify that the people that here are the right people. And we can't worship God if it isn't the Levites and the Nethanims and the different and the servants of Solomon were uh, serving in the temple, helping the priest do their job. Ezra was a priest. And so we see that before we get to this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There had to be some things that happened first. Nehemiah got a burden. They rebuilt the walls. They restored order in the city. And they reckoned the people. And we get down here to chapter 8. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and of all they could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Now, does anybody know the significance of the first day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar? Uh, today, uh, if you have one of those little parking th- alternate side parking calendars, it will say Rosh Hashanah. That's the Jewish New Year. Uh, how can you have a New Year in the first day of the seventh month? Well, I'm not sure how that all works. Totally, but the Jewish people had two calendars. And the first day of the seventh month is the new year. It was the blowing of the trumpets. And today that's still celebrated. It comes in anywhere from uh, early September up into mid or even late October. I think there's about 60 days swing in the calendar. Uh, according uh, difference with our calendar... And so they had gathered for the blowing of the trumpets the first day of the seventh month. And the people would ask Ezra to bring the law and read it to them. Now, it's interesting what your Bible says here. It says, 
every and all that could hear with understanding. You know what? One of the reasons why we have our Sunday school the way we do is because we want the little ones to be in here hearing exactly the same lesson that the adults hear. And some adults say, well, I'm older. I I don't need those children's lessons. Oh, boy. There's a place to get that right. Uh, There's not a one of us that can't learn more from hearing the Bible stories again. Amen? And it's an opportunity for parents to discuss with their children what their children have heard. And you know because you heard it at the same time. Amen? Uh, that's part of the, uh, of the thought process behind that is because it's, it's the parent's job to teach the children. But let me tell you, the children get an awful lot just sitting here. Um, I, I've given this example many times and I have many stories I could tell of just my children as they get from that stage to where they can sit in the auditorium without making so much noise that they disturb the service to the point to where they actually are able to talk in complete sentences and communicate back with you, uh, there's quite a bit of time there. Uh, You know, two-year-olds can say things, but most of it doesn't make much sense now, does it? But as they get older, they begin saying things. You say, oh, Dad, I remember when we went through this before. They weren't talking when we went through this before. How did that happen? Well, they were sitting here hearing it. Uh, It's important. Amen? You see, they heard the Word of God. Some of these people, for the first time, time in their life. And by the way, I want you to understand something. The Word of God was there. Ezra didn't have to go looking for it to find it. God has always preserved and taken care of His Word. It has never been lost. Now, there are some people that claim that, and we don't have time to go into that this morning, but uh, there are people that will claim just about anything. Just put them all in the same category. Leave them alone. God's Word was there. Ezra had it. And he read, and I want you to skip down with me here uh, to verse 6. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed uh, their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua and Benai and uh, all of those men were standing there. And the Levites, now here's the part I want you to get, caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now that's verse 8. Verse 9 tells us, And Nehemiah, which is the Tishartha, 
And Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither, neither be ye grieved. Now verse 12 is the key. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. I want to give you a different definition of joy. A biblical definition of the word joy. See, most of the time when we hear the word joy, we just think it means to feel good inside. It means to feel happy. And, and there is that understanding there. But these people had heard and understood the law of God. Now, there was a lot of things that they understood. Can you pick up this book and read its pages without first being brought face to face with the supreme holiness of God. Can you do that? I, I want to challenge you. I don't believe it can be done. It would be a strong demonic influence that would have to cloud your mind so that you could not understand from the reading of any part of this book the supremacy of God's holiness. How many people would say amen to that? When we see and understand God's holiness, what is the next thing that is literally thrown in our face and weighs down our heart and our soul is our sinfulness. Amen? If you understand God and His holiness, you have to understand, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, I wish I had a dollar for every person to tell me, um, but you don't understand. The Bible is so high and I'm so low. Yeah, I, well, that's a good starting point. The Ten Commandments is not a ladder for which you to attempt to climb to godliness. The Ten Commandments are ten condemnations. They judge all short of the glory of God. It is the schoolmaster. It is the teacher to show me that I cannot live the way God wants and demands for me to live. This is what the Word of God says. Amen? It says, 
the standard, I mean, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and yet they sang that song this morning. We didn't plan the message around the song or vice versa. The wonder of it all, that Jesus loves me. You cannot read the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and not see God's love. You cannot read even the stories of the wanderings in the wilderness and God bringing His people out of Egypt's bondage without seeing God's love and how God took a little shepherd boy named David and set him up as the king of His people Israel and then His son Solomon after him who was given wisdom and riches that exceed anything that we know or understand today. And yet, we know of God's blessings in Jesus Christ as we read the New Testament, far above and beyond anything that was clarified and shown in the Old Testament. Amen? That we would echo the words, God is love. We, as these words were read, I want you to think about what was going on in the minds and hearts of the people that were there. By this time, the old generation that was there for the building of the temples, Zerubbabel and Shethiel and and all of those men that had come back out of the captivity, and re- they were all dead. It was their sons and grandsons and daughters and granddaughters that were there. Time had passed. Now the walls were rebuilt. And they were hearing the Word of God read to them. And they wept. And then they were told, This day is holy to God. You're not to weep. You're to have joy and happiness. And the key to that happiness and that joy was that they understood. Verse 12, it says, Because they understood the words that were declared unto them. Now, we, we, we like to know things. And we think we know things that we don't know. I remember, uh, I, I've tried never to play the part of a prophet, but uh, I remember several years back, and, and uh, we were talking about uh, political things and, and stuff, and I'll tell you one thing that just really, really frightened me was Mrs. President. That, that term just really struck fear in my heart. You know what? It's not scary anymore. We've, we've seen worse than that. We, we think we know what's going to happen, but we don't. How many of you have ever thought you knew what someone was thinking? I mean, you just knew. You had it pegged. And found out that you were all wrong. That's where we are. Why is the joy of the Lord our strength? 
it's because we don't need to think that we know something. We don't need to sit down and try to figure out all the missing pieces of the puzzle. And, and uh, you know, the, the world is just fascinated with the character of Sherlock Holmes that never existed. In fact, the British Parliament just passed a bill to change the address on Baker Street because so many tourists came by and harassed the poor person living there that they couldn't hardly stand to, to go on. So they got a law passed and changed the number of the house because so many people were trying to visit the house of a person who never existed. Why would people do Oh, because his mind was so great. He didn't have a mind. He's an imagination. He never existed. But you have to admit, the stories are really cool. Yeah? But they're stories. I'll tell you, if you want the real stories, read about a man named Sir Robert Anderson, who is actually the... Um, if he wasn't the leader, he was one of the top leaders in Scotland Yard at the very same time that Mr. Doyle was writing all of his papers. Sir Robert Anderson was a Christian. He was a believer in the Word of God. I have some of his books on my shelf. Uh, I'll tell you, we get into this habit of thinking that we know something. And we don't have time to chase this all out into the New Testament, but the Bible tells us in the letters to the churches that Jesus is going to do some secret things for different people. That little white rock with the name written in it that nobody knows. God wants to do some intimate things. But if you want to have joy in this life, stop trying to figure out who the sons of God were in Genesis chapter 6. And whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons. And who the two witnesses are in, in uh, the book of Revelation. And start asking God to help you understand what's written down. That is the joy of the Lord. You say, but when I understand what's written down, you just... You've just explained that I am going to be faced with my own sinfulness and my shortcoming and everything that's wrong for me. Hallelujah. Because if I can understand who and what I am in the light of this book, and know because this book says so that God still loves me, what greater joy... What greater self-esteem, what greater solidity of person and character can I have than the fact that God loves me according to His Word? I'm not going to go where the Calvinist goes. God knows every sin that I'm going to sin, that I have sinned and that I will sin. It doesn't surprise Him, but God didn't plan it. But He still forgives me. And He still wants to use me. And if that doesn't give you happiness, then your happy thing is just broke. It's got to get fixed. Amen?
It's understanding the words of God. Now, I want us to follow through here and we're going to build on this because it, I don't want someone to say, well, Pastor, you're just putting that together. But look, that's, that's what it says here. But look at verse 14. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Now, they were there on the first day of the seventh month, which is the blowing of the trumpets. The tenth day of the seventh month, starting at even sundown on the ninth to sundown on the tenth, is the day of atonement. The fifteenth day of that month began an eight-day feast, the celebration of the tabernacles. And we won't take time to look it all up, but if you have time to go back to Leviticus chapter 23, it'll give you just an overview, and then you can read in uh, uh, Deuteronomy and other places in Exodus where it gives all the, the details of that feast. But they were supposed to go and find branches of thick trees, and they were to make booths. How many of you have ever driven through Burrow Park and... And uh, down in the alphabet of uh, Brooklyn there, where those Avenue A, a P, C, Q, Z. Uh, if you drive through there in late September, early October, you're going to see all these funny looking little shacks everywhere. I mean, big mansion and it has a little balcony. And out on the balcony is this funny little stick hut built there. How many of you have seen those things? And uh, you say, well, what? well, that's right here, Feast of Tabernacles. In fact, we have a little storage shed out here that they had built for that purpose. And when we were looking through the building for the first time, we went through this rotten door into this little uh, section here. And they'd uh, put just a fiberglass roofing on and everything was uh, really bad shape. And it had all this stupid little fruit plastic fruit hanging from the ceiling and somebody had taken bamboo sticks and, and shoved in there by the dozen. Uh, it didn't stop the rain from coming through, I'll tell you that. Uh, but that was part of their trying to keep this Feast of the Tabernacles. So the people heard. Now this is all the Jewish people that are living in the land of Israel this time, the city of Jerusalem is not built, re, totally rebuilt. There's still burned houses and things in the city. The walls have finally been put up and they're, they're getting the city back to being a city again. And Ezra reads, and they all go out. I'll, I'll bet you the forest, the woods around the city of Jerusalem looked awful for the next several years as they went out there and just chopped off every available branch so that they could bring them out uh, back in, and they built booths, temporary dwelling place to live in during the Feast of the Tabernacles. Why? Well, that's what the Bible said. You know, if you understand what the Bible says, it demands that you do some things. You know what? There were a lot more serious problems that they had to deal with. We get down to chapter uh, 9 here, 
And it's going to say at the end of this time, they were all assembled with sackcloth and mourning and, and earth upon their heads, confessing their sins and separating themselves from the people of the land and dealing with all of these major things. But I'll, I'll tell you something. If you won't do the little things that you know the Bible says, you'll always find an excuse never to get to the big things the Bible says. The joy of the Lord is understanding what the Bible says. That God, in spite of His holiness, and me, in spite of my sinfulness, can still be a recipient of God's love. Amen? Amen? And what we do, because we have that joy, are the little things... That we have right in front of us. And the big things are going to get taken care of. It was the 15th of, was coming up. They had a few days to get things ready. The temple had already been functioning for somewhere around 50 to 70 years at this point. Uh, those that wanted to keep the feast and obey the law were already doing so. But I want you to read what it says here. And uh, chapter, verse 17 of chapter 8, And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths, and sat under the booths. For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto that day, had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Do you get what that says? The time period of the judges, all the kings of Israel, from somewhere around 15, 1600, almost a thousand years of history, they had not obeyed God's word. You wonder why it was so easy for the children of Israel to go back to sinning and acting like the heathen of the land? It's because they weren't regularly doing the things that were in God's Word that they could easily accomplish. How often did Jesus say you had to take up your cross? Daily. God put those little things like church. Amen? That's really not a little thing, but it is. These things that we are supposed to do, that we can do, your Bible reading schedule, your time of prayer with God, these are little things in the scope of all the great things that are in upheaval around us. Of the problems that we face in our own life that we cannot solve. Because of the hardness of other people's hearts and wickedness in high places and, and all everything that is swirling about us. We can't do a lot. And sometimes we use that as an excuse. How many of you enjoyed the family fun night? Everybody that was here was. I got a little bit of video from that. It was just absolutely hilarious. 
something is going weird here. I think I'm just going to unplug this. We've had uh, great difficulties. We tried to get the baptistry all ready for this morning and uh, plugged it in and did all the right things and found out somebody turned the circuit breaker off. And so that's why the heat and water and the smells and everything this morning was trying to get the baptistry warm enough that uh, we can baptize in. I think it's going to be okay. Uh, It's going to be a little chilly, but I don't think it'll be too terrible. We'll put Esther in first and see how she does. All right? No. Um, but um, let's let's get back here. There's been making noises there, and all of a sudden, I, I'm just going to just unplug it. We'll go with what we got. But you know, we get wrapped up in things that we cannot change, and use them for excuses not to do the things that we ought to do. You see, these people, they read that in the seventh month they were to get the booze. And uh, the, the branches of the trees, they did what it said. Verse 18, also day by day from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month. Now, if you take the fifteenth and you go eight days, uh, you'll go to the twenty-second, basically. This was two days after the feast was over. You see, the obedience and understanding the Word of God is contagious. Once you start, you can't stop. I don't know who came up with this advertisement, but for Lay's potato chips, they say, eat one and you're going to eat the whole bag. You know what? I have found that advertising totally false. I don't have to eat a whole bag of potato chips. Uh, In fact, I don't even like Lay's potato chips. Now, there's some other ones that come close, but uh, to making you want to eat the whole bag. But... uh, It just doesn't bother. But let me tell you something. You start tasting the Word of God and start doing the little things that you can do. You're going to start doing more things. And it's going to grow in your life till it controls your entire life. I love to watch people grow in the Lord. That is probably the greatest joy that a pastor can have. The greatest sorrow is watching people make decisions that are against the Word of God. Knowing that you can't live a person's life. You can't can't go back. I I knew a preacher one time. It's still making noise. Well, we're going to find out something sometime. But I know a preacher, he said, 
I would uh, visit people's house and he would open the window and stick his head in at night and say, what are you watching on TV? I'm sitting there going. You know, if you tried that in New York City, what would happen to you? <laughs> Somebody shut the window. And I hope it would happen. I mean, that's not the preacher's job. The preacher's job is to encourage you to help you understand what's written down. And when you understand, you start doing the little things that can be done. And God does the big things that are beyond our mind and understanding. And all God's people said, Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning.